Everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 227. Uh, and tonight we are looking actually to depart from Rivendell. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to do almost a, about a slide and a third, right, in order to get all the way out of the valley. Um, but we are at least going to get off the doorstep. I feel, I feel confident we're going to get off the doorstep of the last homely house where we've been sitting now for a number of weeks. So we'll see how we do this week. Uh, but first, before we get started, we got a bunch of events coming up that I want to make sure everybody knows about. People have been asking about moots and I'm, I am, I am, I have, I have a lot of moot updates tonight. Um, our fall moot season is beginning to take, take shape. So the first thing, myth moot, Coming up very soon, next month, June 23rd to 26th, our location officially is the Dulles Airport Marriott. That is our backup location, having uh, given way at our normal venue to uh, uh, Afghanistan uh, refugee children uh, who are now living there. So we have given our place to the refugees and we are have moved instead to the Dulles Airport Marriott. Um, and so I strongly, so one thing I need to emphasize here, um, in shifting our venues, we've had to agree to close registration for, for in-person attendance, for the, for the physical attendance, earlier than we normally do. I hate closing registration early. I just hate saying no to people. So um, I, uh, I, I hate turning people away from events. Uh, so I always like to keep registration open until the last minute. Um, and I'll try to undermine that as we go. But still, nevertheless, we told the Dallas Airport Marriott that we've had to, uh, that we're going to do this. So I just want to urge people, if you're thinking of attending in person, definitely get your tickets sooner rather than later, because it is possible that you could miss the boat if you wait too long on this. So um, uh, I want to make sure to emphasize that the link for booking your room there um, is going to be up very, very soon. That's where it's the last thing we're waiting for uh, from these people. Uh, there aren't fire pits at the Marriott Evil Dr. Cannon, but don't worry. We're going to I'm going to we're going to scope out a place where at least we can sit around and hang out, uh, if not in quite as cool a location as the fire pits at the NCC. Still, nevertheless, it should be pretty awesome. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, and, um, anyway, so that's going to be, <laughs> we just burned the furniture in the lobby. Yeah. It's it just, it's, it's more of a DIY situation with the fire pits. Exactly. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll go over well with everybody. Um, so anyhow, it's going to be great fun. I can't wait for myth moot. Myth moot is always one of the highlights of my year. Um, so looking forward to seeing folks there at myth moot. And, um, uh, again, don't forget now we will be able to keep, um, we're of course doing a, a digital attendance option, um, at myth moot again this year. And that registration will be open all the way through. They can't make us close down that early. Um, so uh, anyway, um, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be great fun. So definitely look into Mythmoot. And if you're thinking about coming in person, definitely sign up sooner rather than later because we're gonna have to close uh, registration down really within a few weeks from now. Uh, so definitely get on that. Um, now, regional moots coming up. 
So we have three confirmed regional moots for which the registration is already open. Like you can go to the website and you can register for them even now at this very moment. One is Buckeye Moot. That is the first one coming up in on July 30th. July 30th will be the beginning of our next year's uh, moot cycle uh, with Buckeye Moot in Cincinnati, near Cincinnati, Ohio is where we'll be on July 30th. Um, so I hope you can join us for that. That's going to be fun. And then that, by the way, is another one, actually, um, just due to the requirements of the venue where we're going to have to actually close registration for in-person attendance a little bit early. Um, so if you want to come to Buckeye Moot, try to get your tickets before mid-July is the is sort of the deadline there. Um, uh, anyway, so, um, uh, so there we are. So Buckeye Moot. July 30th, our first ever moot in Ohio. So that's going to be great fun. And then SoCal Moot is back this year. SoCal Moot's going to be on November 5th in Carlsbad, California. So we're we're doing SoCal Moot and we're leaving L.A. Uh, we're going to be down a little south of L.A., um, uh, closer to San Diego, I think, uh, uh, is uh, where we're where we're going to be, uh, and so that should be that should be awesome. Um, so you can you can uh, look into SoCal Moot November fifth, and then Osmoot down in Australia on January twenty seventh to 29th. Um, so excited um, for uh, uh, for Osmoot. This is going to be. A big event, our first ever uh, Southern Hemisphere moot. Uh, first time we've been able to go down to New Zealand or Australia. Uh, so very, uh, very excited about that. Um, <laughs> I see. Bjorning says he lived four years in San Diego and now we do a moot there. I know it's hard. It's hard. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but there we go. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so we've got Australia. Southern California and Buckeye Moot, those are those are those are ready to go. As I said, the registration is open for those. Three others for this fall, which are probable but not yet hundred. We don't have registration open yet, but kind of this is a sort of a save the date situation, right? Um, uh, for Mountain Moot, Middle Moot, and New England Moot. Mountain Moot in Denver, Colorado. That'll be a first. So we're hoping to get uh, Denver Moot together. That's going to be great. Middle Moot. Uh, back to Middle Moot. This will be Middle Moot five or six. I don't know. It's, we've been doing Middle Moot forever now. Um, and we're going to be back in Kansas City again this year. Gosh, it is going to be six, isn't it? Wow. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so we'll be back in Kansas City on October 8th and then New England Moot back up here in my backyard. Not literally my backyard, uh, globally speaking, my backyard in Durham, New Hampshire um, on October 22nd. So there we go. That's uh, that's the uh, uh, those are those are the moots upcoming. There's a whole bunch more uh, that we're working on. We're hoping to get um, we're uh, actually getting close to confirming things for Sunshine Moot again down in Florida uh, next spring. Um, we're, of course, hoping to do Tex Moot and Bay Moot again. I'd love to get Magnolia Moot in the southeast uh, up and running again. Um, we're looking at doing a Europe Moot uh, this year as well. Um, probably Sweden or Germany, leaning towards Sweden. We'll see. Um, so anyway, lots of um, uh, lots more moots coming. Uh, this is going to be a really exciting year. I could feel this kind of coming, right? This past year was just beginning to get back into the into the swing of things as far as moots are concerned. Um, we had some wonderful events this past year. It was a great time. Um, and had a feeling that there was there was more to come as we were uh, getting back into the rhythm of stuff. So, um, 
Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Rachel says that we arrived in Rivendell on March 16th, 2020. <laughs> that's good. So it's been it's been a little less than two years. Well, that's wait a second. That can't be right. 2020? No, that's when we started Council of Elrond then, right? We would have arrived. The fight to the Ford has to have been earlier. Wasn't that 2019? I think it must have been 2019 when we got to the Ford. Two years seems like very, very hasty to do that whole business. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jackie says, I'm pretty sure I remember because I was pregnant. Right. Yeah. And how old is your kid? Is your kid in kindergarten yet? <laughs> Jackie? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just about two. Right. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. No, that's going to be um, um, I'm. I'm looking forward to the day. I know it's going to happen, right? I'm looking forward to the day when I meet an adult at a moot who was born uh, since we started <laughs> exploring the Lord of the Rings. It's coming, right? You know, one of these, one of these exploring the Lord of the Rings babies. Uh, I'm going to meet at a moot someday, and uh, that's going to be that's going to be awesome. Um, there we go. Okay, so many meetings started March twelfth, twenty nineteen. There we go. There we go. Um, awesome. Awesome. Um, cool. All right. So yeah, well, well, three years, uh, no big deal. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, very cool. All right. So let's, uh, let's get back into the text because we have, again, like a slide and a third is the goal here for this evening. So we'll see. So remember last time we were looking at the dueling aphorisms there with Elrond and Gimli. Um, and then I wanted to do the bracket contained with the two farewells, right? So Elrond's final words, farewell and may the blessing of elves and men and all free folk go with you. May the stars shine upon your faces. Elrond's last words, right? He gives his benediction. He says, farewell which is itself a blessing, right? If you think about farewell and what the word means. May the blessing of elves and men and all free folk go with you. Um, it's interesting that Elrond um, kind of you know, takes it upon himself to bestow a blessing on behalf of all free folk, right? Um, I mean, of course, being the half-elven, he's in a fairly unique position to bestow the blessing of elves and men upon people. Right. Um, but then he goes ahead and, um, uh, speaks to speaks for all free folk. Right. Um, and, uh, this seems to me, um, yeah, yeah. Bjorn in exile. I think you're exactly right. Elrond is playing the anti Sauron here, sending out the nine walkers and all. Yeah, this is the moment, right? When the nine walkers are being sent forth and the blessing of all free folk go with them. Right. Um, notice that final emphasis on freedom, which is interesting in the context of what we were looking at last time. Um, the his Elrond's resistance to binding them to promises, right? Uh, to the binding of their wills at all, even by their own choice, right? Not only is he emphasizing the freedom of their freedom of choice and going along, but he is um, uh, really leaning into keeping their 
options open in the future, right? Not even by their own free will, allowing them to bind themselves from where they sit right now. So we talked about the kind of sort of that emphasis on freedom and keeping yourself open to what happens. Um, but anyway, the blessing, uh, the blessing of all free folk. <laughs> exactly. As evil Dr. Cannon says, he's going to bring them all and in the light, unbind them. <laughs> That's that's pretty awesome, evil Dr. Cannon. That's just what Elrond is doing here, right? He's unbinding them in the light, uh, in the light of the stars, apparently. Um, but yeah, I think uh, so I think that that's a wonderful way to think about this, thinking about this as the, you know, the, the sort of converse, right? The opposite end of the, uh, you know, Sauron sending out um, his ringwraith slaves Right. Um, in order to do his will and to bring his ring of domination back to his hand, uh, no matter what. Right. Um, and um, yeah, the sort of contrast here, I think, is really is, is really important. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. May the stars shine upon your faces. Probably. I mean, that, of course, sounds like a traditional Elvish greeting. You know, a, a star shines upon the hour of our greeting. Right. We hear Frodo say earlier on. Um, so we know stars shining upon things is part of a traditional Elvish greeting. This perhaps is a traditional Elvish benediction. Right. Um, as they leave. Um, but whether it's traditional or not, it has a certain um, suitability, right, to the occasion. They, may the stars shine upon your faces. This idea of they, they are... Um, here's one of the things that I like about this. <clears throat> Remember, they're setting off at night, right? They're setting off at night. It's like they waited until nightfall, and they're setting off at nightfall. Um, it's, it's, it's dusk. Um, <clears throat> they are going out. They're traveling in the darkness. Um, they are traveling in the shadows. And so there's this irony in their quest, in a sense, from the beginning, right? They are, they are uh, you know, lurking in the shadows, as Boromir might suggest, right? Um, uh, they, are, they, are, they are hiding, they're concealing themselves in darkness, and yet their faces are toward the light. So the star is shining upon them. It's an elvish thing, of course, on the one hand, but it's also particularly apt in this moment, right? Um uh, the stars will be shining upon them and emphasizing that, like, yes, you're traveling by night, but the emphasis is not you're going to be in the darkness. The emphasis at this moment is you are going forth under the light of the stars and your faces are turned towards the stars, right? What your, what your goal, what your expectation is, is toward, the, is, there is light there, right? And it is that highest and most ancient of lights. Right. Um, uh, that most elvish of lights, um, though, that is what is going to be shining on their faces. Um, what do I mean about sort of, well, most ancient within the Silmarillion mythology, um, you know, the non-redacted uh, Silmarillion mythology, um, uh, the stars are obviously the oldest of all of the lights of heaven. But think of What's the difference between the sun and the, the moon and the stars, right? The chief difference, or at least what the, the way that these astronomical bodies were always grouped um, in medieval cosmology, is that they're fixed, 
right? They're fi- fixed in relationship. They still go around the earth, of course. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they apparently, right, travel around the earth. Um, but they, they're fixed in relationship with each other. You can, you can use, that's why you steer by them, right? You steer by the star. You can navigate by the stars. You can count on the stars, right? The stars are dependable. Um, the sun, the moon, the planets, those are the wandering stars, right? Um, those are all star. They're, 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 you know, heavenly lights, right? They're, um, you know, they have, they have their uses. They're significant, um, but they don't have the same significance. There's not that sense of, uh, you know, the stars are like an anchor, right? They're, they're always there and they're always the same. Um, and, uh, that I think is one of the things that makes that makes this feel apt at this moment, right? He is putting them in, you know, the stars are shining upon their faces. In a sense, I think it's, I think it's not an accident that, you know, it is a star. Now, hang on, I'll do a footnote to this in a second. Um, you know, the stars are a sign of hope. The stars are a sign of Estelle. Right. Um, now, I, my footnote is I know that the star of high hope is Elendil's star, which is not a fixed star. Right. It's an orbit star, uh, according to the poem. Um, it's, you know, one of the wandering stars. It's a planet whose position changes in connection in, you know, with the others in, in relationship to the other stars. So it's not one of the fixed stars in this way. It's special. Right. That's a it's a it's a it's a special case. Um, but the stars themselves there's a reason that Sam views, thinks of stars and sings of stars as a sign of hope, right? Associates them with Estel, like in his song in the Tower of Kirithungal. Um, that, um, uh, because the stars are unchanging, you can't, the shadow can't mess, that's what the shadow can't mess with. The shadow can't mess with the stars. Right. It's possible that the shadow could mess with the sun or moon. Right. Well, moon anyway. Right. There's some myths about that happening. And, um, you know, this was a cause of concern whenever there's an eclipse of the moon or sun. Right. There's not an eclipse of the stars. Right. You don't um, um, you don't. You don't get that. And yeah, they are. They are the light when everything else is dark. Carnemeria. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but um, anyway, so his invocation of the stars here in his farewell, again, I know it sounds very formulaic, right? Very ceremonial. And that's, I think, important too. Um, but this seems, but again, that the elves are interested in the stars for reasons, <laughs> right? It's not just a whim on their part. Um, uh, and again, this, 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 this works here. And I love this idea of the stars, him drawing attention to the stars shining. They, it's possible, right? That especially the hobbits might think as they set off in the darkness, especially Frodo, whose mind is very likely clouded with fear of what he's headed towards and what he's doing, right? Um, it's very possible that they might just focus on the darkness. Um, and Elrond gives at the end a little reminder that the darkness in which they are going to be traveling, the darkness in which they're going to be walking, 
um, is still has the guiding presence of the stars above it, unreachable by it, right? Um, and still actually illuminating that darkness. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Jackie, it's true that down in Rune and Harad, uh, the stars are strange, right? Down there in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, um, which, by the way, number one thing, I, I can't wait for the, my first starry night in Australia. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see the strange stars. Um, <laughs> but I've never seen them except in pictures before. Um, but anyway, um, that is... Uh, um, but so, yes, the stars are strange, and that's a weird thing, right? And yet, the stars are still... The same is true in Harad as up here, right? Stars might be different, but it still works the same, right? They are just as unassailable. They are just as steady. Um, uh, they are always this quiet, beautiful, luminous presence that shines in and through the darkness every day, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, I have to, I have to pay attention. To, I have to look for the backwards moon. Fourth Thomas in Australia. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, golly, JJ, I never really thought about that. The brand of pipeweed called Southern Star. Yeah. That's really interesting. I wonder why it's called that. Southern Star. Huh. I never really stopped to actually think about that brand name of pipeweed. I mean, southern locally, presumably just because it's grown in the South Farthing, right? Um, so, I mean, I'm sure from a, ho a hobbit standpoint, it has a perfectly mundane explanation, right? Um, you know, southern for the South Farthing and, you know, star because uh, it's... Um, no, I think it is in the text, Fourth Thomas. I think it's in. I think it, Mary mentions it in uh, the the note on pipeweed in the introduction. Um, uh, there are several Lotro invented um, brands of, or you know, brands of pipeweed. Um, Longbottom Leaf, Old Toby, Southern Star. I'm almost positive it's in the text. Um, uh, yeah, I'm almost positive. I'm pretty sure I can hear Rob Inglis saying it in my head, so I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's in the text. Um, that's one of my tests, right? If I'm remembering something, sometimes I can be, you know, sometimes I'm remembering things from various other places. But if I can hear it in Rob Inglis's voice in my head, I'm pretty confident it's, it's, it's in the text. Um, but, uh, yeah, see, Matt, that's exactly what I was... Um, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, the whole idea that Pipeweed came from Numenor... Um, the recollection of Southern Star, you know, the land of the star, which is in the South, right? Um, I can't imagine that there's any um, connection, like, like, you know, deliberate connection on the part of the hobbits, right, to that. Um, but it's hard to avoid it once you think of it, right? Um, I mean, it's a name which works symbolically in a lot of ways. I mean, even in just in the sense that it's um, kind of reminding about... Um, uh, 
about, uh, I mean, of course, it's even the way that it serves as a kind of recollection of that moment of Sam's, right, down in the south in Mordor, looking at the star, right? I mean, there are lots of ways in which south and star are kind of associated. Yeah, Longbottom Leaf, Old Toby, and Southern Star. Thought so. Thought so. Great. Awesome. Um, yes. Great. Uh, anyway, so, sorry, that's a side little pipeweed rabbit hole. Um, probably because JJ's trying to keep me from getting through my 1.3 slides tonight. Anyway, then we get Bilbo's benediction. Good luck. And he stutters with the cold, and his stuttering with the cold has the effect of having him repeat good, right? Um, uh, double good luck is what Bilbo ends up wishing them, right? Um, good, good luck, cried Bilbo. Um, and I love the sort of apparent accident of that, right? The sort of double blessing uh, by Bilbo. And yes, Bilbo was always associated with luck. This is a particular, I mean, on the one hand, very natural, very homey, hobbitish kind of blessing, right? Where Elrond is all, may the stars shine upon your faces. Bilbo's like, good luck, right? Um, and which seems very fitting, right? In the con In the cultural contrast between the two of them. And yet, very fitting in exactly that way, right? Um, luck. Bilbo was born with more than his fair share of luck, perhaps, right? Um, and uh, for him to be wishing and bestowing his luck, it's like the last memento of his journey that he can bestow upon Frodo. He's already given him uh, his uh, mithril coat. He's already given him Sting, uh, you know, the two memento... And, and he's given him the ring, right? And now he's bestowing upon him his luck, right? Um, he's now given to Frodo everything that he had with him, right? All of the important things that he had with him on his journey. Um, very cool. I don't suppose you'll be able to keep a diary, Frodo, my lad, but I shall expect a full account when you get back. And don't be too long. Farewell. Um, I love that. Remember when we were looking at the conversation between Bilbo and Frodo, um, we have seen this trend of Bilbo encouraging Frodo, right? Trying to keep Frodo's mind, up, you know, away from despair, right? He's trying to keep his hope up, trying to keep his confidence up, but not just as, not as confidence in the sense of like, you can do this, Frodo, right? You've totally got this whole overthrowing the Dark Lord thing. It's a walk in the park. It's not like that, right? Um, but exactly, Gildalo, and his expression of Estelle here is equally homey, right? Equally um, humble as his casual good luck. Um, but yet it is just as profound, right? Um, I shall expect a full account when you get back. Um, and notice also how he is displacing the emotion of that. He's doing this without making it sappy, right? You know, he's not saying anything embarrassing. He's totally not going to cry, right? Um, uh, you know, he's still in that same, you know, don't try to express how your gratitude, you know, uh, a sort of place that he was uh, with Frodo before. Um, notice how he is diffusing the emotion of the moment. Um, Frodo's obvious 
very real concerns that he is setting out on a journey from which he is almost certain never to return, right? Um, he's had that concern since back end. You remember back in chapter two of book one with Gandalf, right? That he felt that he was going there and not coming back again so far as he could see, right? Um, now he has an even more concrete reason to think that he's not going to come back. Then, because he merely felt he was going off into into a never-ending exile, right? Um, drawing danger after him, right? And keeping it after him and keeping it away from uh, his friends and from the land that he loves. Um, now he is going much more certainly on a one-way trip uh, in that he feels now fairly confident. Uh, before it was just a a what if, right? Before it's just a possibility um, that the Dark Lord might find out where he was and pursue him, right? Um, but there was at least a hope, again, back in back in the shadows of the past, there was at least a hope that he could leave soon enough and disappear completely enough that maybe he could had a sh fighting chance of staying on the run and merely passing his life in exile, right? But now, now he's, well, preparing to walk into Mordor. Right. Um, and you might walk into Mordor, um, but if you do, you're pretty unlikely to walk out. Um, and um, uh, and of course, he won't walk out of Mordor, will he? Um, but um, but yeah, the notice the way that Bilbo diffuses it. Right. Through hobbitry. We get hobbitry here at the end. He castigates Frodo. Right. He gives him chores. You better come back. You know, I, I look forward to talking when you come back and mind. Right. Mind that you, I expect a full account when you get back. You've got duties and responsibilities here, young man. Right. So when you come back, you make sure that you are prepared. Uh, to give me a full account. And don't be too long, right? I don't want to see you dawdling in the land of the Dark Lord now, right? You do your business and you walk into Mordor and then you turn around and you walk right back out of it, young man, right? Um, and that whole, like when you actually place those last two things in the context of what's actually happening here, right? It's really, it's really quite funny, Right? Um, you, know, you better come back and I expect a full account and don't be, don't be too long. Don't be too long. Right. Don't be too, I don't want to hear any excuses, right? <laughs> you better come back double sharp and don't make any excuses. Um, now again, obviously he's not really yelling at Frodo here, but again, but you can see how he's deflecting. Like it's, it's, it's an emotional deflection, but it's also a way clearly, um, to keep Frodo's spirits up as well, right? And to sort of trivialize the whole thing in a sense, right? Like to, to, to reframe it in his mind, right? This is, uh, this is no different. Um, this is no different from, uh, some other jaunt that Frodo is, has gone off on before, right? Um, and he'd, uh, better come back, tell him the full story and not be too long about it. Um, that that sense of hominess is the word I you know homey is the word I keep using right it's a uh, homely to use uh, to you know like the homely house um, 
But I don't like to use the word homely because, of course, in modern English, that has come to mean ugly, right? And I don't mean that. Um, but uh, it's a very comforting kind of speech in its way. The offhandedness, the familiarity of it, um, the low stress of it. You, I mean, you take that paragraph out of context and you would have no idea that the person being addressed is heading off on a probable suicide mission attempting to save the world, right? It's, you just you could not get that from that paragraph. There's absolutely nothing to base um, uh, to base the um, that on, right? From this, you would never know, um, and that seems to me very um, uh, very deliberate uh, on the part of uh, on the part of Bilbo here. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I agree, Bjorning. Um, uh, sort of a hobbitish, hobbity reframing and simple, loving relationships and mundane tasks. Um, yeah, I agree. It brings us back from the epic and fateful dialogue of Elrond and Gimli just before. Um, yes, Elrond, Bjorning. I, I have no doubt that Elrond believes himself to be encouraging, and he is in his way. Right, he's doing his best. Elrond is right, um, but uh, Bilbo knows his audience better. Right? Elrond's blessing is important. And by the way, keep in mind, um, those aren't just words. When somebody like Elrond Half-Elven says, may the blessing of elves and men and all free folk go with you, a transaction has just occurred. Right? A blessing has been laid on them. And that's that means something. Right? And is that's the kind of thing that could be manifest. I mean, remember... He's saying more here even than Gildor said when he said to Frodo, I call you elf friend, right? And right afterwards, Tom Bombadil is like, oh, I can see, you know, Goldberry's like, I can see you're an elf friend, right? Um, Gildor just had to say it, right? And by saying it, he made it true and did something to Frodo. Like it's now, um, it is perceptible. It's obvious to be seen, you know, to Goldberry that he's an elf friend, Right. When Elrond says, may the blessing of elves and men and all free folk go with you, he has just blessed them. Um, you know, that's curses mean something, right? When Isildur curses you, it's going to have an effect, right? Um, ask the Oathbreakers. When Elrond blesses you like this, that's going to have an effect, too. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I think that's that's important to uh, to remember there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I see people are just talking about homely. Adds yeah, to ugly is a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, if somebody says that a particular child looks homely, it's not a compliment. Um, uh, it means plain at the very least, but often. A little past plane. Um, uh, you know, it's still further up the spectrum from like ugly or hideous, but uh, but it's it's on that half of the spectrum. Um, yes, plain and unattractive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I, I'm always I always have that other definition of homely in the back of my mind when I hear the word, which is not in the case of the last homely house, because I have 
associations with that phrase, right? But um, uh, anyway, okay. Um, so yes, yeah, so Elrond has laid a blessing upon them, and that's a big deal. And yet, I can't help but think that Bilbo's words here are going to do more for Frodo, and we will know. We will see. Um, later in this very chapter, I think, um, that Frodo is uh, going to remember this. This Bilbo's words are going to stick with him, right? And he's going to be holding them in mind, we know. Um, but, uh, but all right, let's, uh, and then we get his farewell at the end. So again, we have, uh, um, Elrond and Bilbo's, um, benedictions, right? Get kind of packaged together, right? By the farewell fore and aft there, um, uh, of their two, uh, combined <clears throat> statements, um, Oh, uh, Evil Dr. Cannon, I don't think Bilbo's good luck is only directed, like, uniquely directed at Frodo. Like, he's deliberately neglecting everybody else. Um, he clearly is addressing Frodo in his second sentence. Um, but um, who knows? Maybe that's why he ends up giving them a double dose of good luck, you know, so there's enough to go around. I don't know. Um, but um, certainly I think it's going to be a benediction that's going to be meaningful to all of the hobbits, right? Um uh, you know, especially Sam, who loves old Bilbo's tales so much, right? Um, I am 100% sure that Sam has heard plenty of stories about old Mr. Bilbo's luck, right, uh, from his journey. So uh, I think he's going to uh, very much like that. Um, yeah, exactly, Fort Thoughtless. I think we can perhaps read the fact that he specifies Frodo in the second sentence as... Um, implying that he was directing the first one generally and then directing the second one. Yes. Um, yeah, I think probably, but I, but certainly the focus of Bilbo's address is to Frodo particularly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Many other of Elrond's household stood in the shadows and watched them go, bidding them farewell with soft voices. There was no laughter and no song or music. At last they turned away and faded silently into the dusk. This is one of those paragraphs that coming to it in Exploring the Lord of the Rings, I'm like, have I ever read this before? <laughs> I know this paragraph has been there the whole time, right? Um, but uh, I think I've always been, even when... I'm proceeding through the text somewhat more quickly than we have been in our discussions. But even when I'm just reading on my own, uh, finally getting to the point when we leave Rivendell is kind of a, it's kind of a big deal. Right. Um, and I think I've always overlooked this paragraph. So let's look at it. Many others of Elrond's household stood in the shadows and watched them go, bidding them farewell with soft voices. There was no laughter and no song or music. At last they turned away and faded silently into the dusk. Um, the they is the company, right? 
Since they're fading into the dusk, the walkers are the ones who are turning away in the last sentence. Not the household. The pronoun's a little ambivalent, isn't it? The they. I mean, the company doesn't, isn't alluded to in this paragraph. So there's technically the, 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 the closest antecedent there for the they would be the many others of Elrond's household turning away. Um, it might mean both groups. That's an interesting reading, Silkwest, because I like that. Um, both of them are probably turning away and fading silently into the dusk. Wouldn't you think? Um, I mean, but um, but let's be clear about one thing, right? He has to go out of his way to emphasize there is no laughter and no song or music. Why? Because it's dusk in Rivendell, right? This is weird. This is very strange. There's always laughter and music and song, right? I mean, who's making the bannocks tonight, right? Where this is, this is prime. This is like when it's time to start singing tra la la lolly in Rivendell, right? Now, I know that a lot of people, this is something that just becomes clearer and clearer to me the more we are studying this and the more, you know, the more, um, you know, like once you notice this, you see it all over the place. Um, a lot of modern readers who read The Lord of the Rings first, read The Lord of the Rings first and go to The Hobbit and get to chapter three and are like, this is ridiculous, right? The Tra-la-la-lolly song, this is, this is, this is terrible. Like, this is, this is, like, this is not Tolkien's elves, right? I'm glad Tolkien left that behind um, and got serious about his elves in The Lord of the Rings. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. In fact, them singing and laughing, presumably singing songs about the fact that the river is flowing and the bannocks are baking, right? Um, the fact that they're not doing it is so striking, he has to point it out, right? Um, I, um, uh, I think that it's... Um, I think it, I think it's very striking. I think that the more you look at it, the more you can see um, that same sort of spirit of fun and delight in the elves is still there in the Lord of the Rings. I don't think that Tolkien has changed his mind about Chapter Three of The Hobbit at all. Um, uh, but, and I think that's very interesting. I think that's very significant, actually. Um, uh, and I, I think it's important to keep in mind. Yeah, the elves haven't changed. The situation has. Carnemiria, and here's this is the classic. Tonight, tonight is not the night for Tralalalali. Right? They're thinking about other things. Um, and this image that we get of them in the first sentence, right? They're standing in the shadows. Many others of Elrond's household stood in the shadows and watched them go, bidding them farewell with soft voices. Right. Obviously, they might as well bid them farewell with loud voices because Boromir's already, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of let the weasel into the hen coop uh, on the, in that regard. But whatever. Um, still, um, that's it doesn't fit the occasion, right? Um, 
that image of them standing in the shadows as they watch them go, right? The elves standing in the shadows. And by the way, I do like, um, I, in my mind, really have to connect that last sentence. At last they turned away and faded silently into the dusk with the elves, at least partially. I think it at least has to, again, the pronoun suggests it, but I really like the, um, um, I really like the, the emphasis. Notice the verb, right? Notice the verb. Faded. Not turned, right? They turned away and faded silently into the dusk. Like elves do, right? Um, this is the fate of the elves. This is going to be the fate of the elves one way or the other, right? Um... The company is setting forth on the quest of the ring, um, and they're setting forth with the blessing of elves and men and all free folk. Um, but one way or another, this ends with the elves turning away and fading silently into the dusk, right? <clears throat> and even now, they're standing in the shadows, watching them go, bidding them farewell with soft voices. Farewell. Farewell indeed. Right? Farewell because the company is leaving. But so are the elves. Right? Um, uh, farewell is the, um, you know, light motif of the elves in the Third Age. Right? Um, farewell is, is the song they sing. Right? Um, farewell is their number one message. Um, and I love how that gets kind of embedded here. The departure of the elves, the fading of the elves, the passing of the elves into shadows. And we don't know what kind of shadows it's going to be, right? One way or the other, the elves are going to fade into the shadows. They're either going to be overtaken by the shadow of Sauron, which would not be good, or they're going to fade silently into the dusk of human memory, right? Um, they're going to fade silently away, and most of humanity is going to forget about them. This is what is going to be happening with the elves, one way or the other. Um, and um, yeah, I agree, Gildalowin, that picture of them fading silently into the dusk, right? Silently. Um, seems an unnecessary addition, right? Um, but I find... You know, it, it adding that um, the auditory element, right? Um, they're not only passing away from sight, um, their voices already are stilled. We cannot hear their elf voices, right? Remember Sam? Can't you hear their voices? Um, we can't hear their elvish voices. We don't hear them singing. We don't hear their laughter. Remember the sound of elf uh you know, elf laughter, elf song that they hear in Mirkwood, right? back in The Hobbit, the dwarves and Bilbo, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And Bilbo is fading with them. Yeah, what we get here in this paragraph, in a sense, is a little, well, it is, Almerea, as you say, foreshadowing, right? Um, but it's, in a sense, foreshadow it seems deeper than foreshadowing. Right. Um, 
it's um, it's a reminder of the context, right? It's a reminder of the context of this entire age, of this entire mission, right? Um, and it's one of the things that is so striking about the Lord of the Rings. So striking about the Lord of the Rings. Um, it's not a happily ever after story, right? It's not to say that there isn't anybody in the story that lives in some sense happily ever after. But it's not a story that's interested in happily ever afters, exactly. Um, there is a lot at stake. This is a, you know, this is a world and a cause worth dying for. And yet, victory is still going to come with loss. The elves are fading silently into the dusk, no matter what happens. Um, they know it, too. Um, what I can see in this paragraph, now that I'm finally looking at it for what feels like the first time in my life, um, what I can hear in this paragraph is an echo or a pre-echo um, of Goadriel's words when she talks about, when she says explicitly to Frodo, um, you see how you're coming to us, right, is, is as the stroke of doom. Like they, things are done one way or another things are done with, right? Um, and so this moment, the departure of the company is a big deal for the elves. Why? It's fading time. It's been fading time, right? But um, the, uh, the clock is about to strike for the elves. One way or another, um, one way or another, they're... Uh, um, their time is done. Their time in the North is done. Um, and of course, thinking of um, all the stuff that we, if you were in my study of the nature of Middle Earth, or if you got to just got a chance to read the book on your own, um, in the nature of Middle Earth, we can see in Tolkien's later years, um, he was actually kind of doubling down on that, right? Not only is this time in the Third Age, meaning the uh, departure from Middle-earth, right? Um, fading silently to the dusk of Middle-earth, but into the dusk of Arda itself, right? As they're, they are consuming their Hroar and they are becoming invisible. They're losing their bodies, even, right? Soon they are going to not be interacting with Arda itself at all anymore in the same way. Um, so, again, in, as he develops, as he does more and more world-building around the elves in later years, um, he takes this idea, this idea of this time, this fade, the fading time of the elves, and he, he amplifies it, right? He, he ratchets, it, ratchets it up even more. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Um, Belongs Bond, I agree. What does happily ever after mean for someone like Arwen? Yeah, well, what does happily ever, ever after mean for anyone, right? I mean, is there such a thing as happily ever after? I mean, it's a convenient way to end a story, right? But it never happens. And this is a story that acknowledges that, right? That acknowledges that even in joy, even in triumph, 
there is loss, right? Loss is still, you know, the note that is struck again and again, even at the end of the happy ending of the story. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so this little paragraph that I think I've always overlooked every time I've read the book, um, is a really powerful reminder of this. Um, even that pausing, there was no laughter <clears throat> and no song or music. On the one hand, that just means this is not the occasion, right? We're canceling the tra la for tonight, you know, f for reasons of tact, <laughs> right? On the one hand, that's uh, uh, one obvious um, uh, explanation, right, of that sentence. But of course, it also has a really deeper, a much deeper resonance, right? Soon, there will be no laughter, no song, and no music from the elves ever again. And that's true, whether or not the good guys win. One way or another, that's coming to an end, or will fade to only a memory, or a memory of a memory, right? Um, an impression. Uh, a, a whisper in the grass, like we hear in some of Tolkien's early elf poetry, like Cortirian Among the Trees, um, or perhaps, um, you know, in, uh, you know, there may still be some stories that will retain a memory of it um, in, uh, uh, in one way or another. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, then we get the they again, and this they is definitely the company, right? This they is definitely the company. They crossed the bridge and wound slowly up the long, steep paths that led out of the Cloven Vale. So hang on a second. If the second they is definitely the company, and the first they was um, uh, ambiguous. Right. Maybe it was the uh, probably it's the elves. Seems like it certainly fits the elves. Um, but also it can apply to the company, I think. Um, it's it, it. It makes that last sentence kind of transitional. Right. Who exactly is turning away and fading silently into the dusk? Um, the elves, probably, but presumably the company is doing so, too, turning away from the house from the um, members of Elrond's household that are standing in the shadows and bidding them farewell with soft voices, right? Um, and they, the company, turn away from them, the elves, and fade silently into the dusk. And so you have this, it evokes this idea of this like symmetrical turning away and fading into the dusk. And it means different things, right? If the elves are fading into the dusk, we, talk, we were just talking about what that means, thinking in the context of the fading, or possibly in the more ominous, more portentous idea of it depends what kind of dusk they're fading into, right? What kind of darkness is over is overcoming them. Um, but now when the company is fading silently into the dusk, that's, um, that's where their hope is going to, right? And so again, I think about the elves looking at the dusk from either direction, right? 
um, their destiny is the dusk, one dusk, one night, or, or the other, right? Um, uh, it's making me, uh, it's reminding me of, you know, T.S. Eliot being saved from fire by fire. Um, it's kind of like that, except with the elves, it's, uh, um, you know, being saved for, you know, from dusk for dusk, uh, basically. But anyway, um, the company turning away and fading silently into the dusk, that's, that's hope, right? That's where the hope lies. Um, the hope lies in the success of this company and their quest and them fading silently into the dusk now not able to be seen continue you know setting off on their uh journey you know silently uh in the night undetectable in the night um the secrecy of their mission intact that's where umdir at least if not estelle right uh for their journey lies right um At last they turned away and faded silently to the dusk. They crossed the bridge and wound slowly up the long steep paths that led out of the cloven vale of Rivendell, and they came at length to the high moor where the wind hissed through the heather. Then with one glance at the last homely house twinkling below them, they strode away far into the night. I love that phrase, the cloven vale, Gildalowen. You're absolutely right. Um... The cloven veil makes it sound like it was um, like it was. I mean, to, to be to be cloven, right? It means cloven is the you know past participle of cleave, right? You know, to to to, to chop something, right? Um, so it's it's a cloven veil. It looks like it was a you know a, a rent that was that was cut uh, in the in the mountains, right? Um, as if made with hands, right? Instead of just uh, naturally happening. Um, so we're getting this, you know, glimpse down this narrow veil, right? Down into this, uh, into this sort of specially fabricated veil, into this other place, right? The last homely house twinkling below them is what they see down in the cloven veil. Um, uh, and yes, it's a riven valley. It's a it's a it's a riven dell, if you will, right? Yeah, that's kind of exactly what it seems to be. Um, <laughs> Ambrosius, I never made that connection, or if I did, I'd forgotten it. Uh, perhaps it was driven from my head, a land that was cleaved, a cleave land. Um, Yes. Yes. Um, I shall think of Rivendell whenever I find myself in Cleveland next. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, I love the wind. They came at length to the high moor where the wind hissed through the heather. Um, first of all, we get this lovely... Um, alliteration, right, with hissed through the heather, um, which is made extra lovely in that the alliteration itself is onomatopoetic, right? Um, he helps us to hear 
the hissing of the wind, uh, not only by using the onomatopoetic word hiss, right, um, but then emphasizing that uh, aspirant H with the heather as well, hissed through the heather, um, the h sound of the wind hissing on the high moor, high moor hissed heather. Um, that sense of, and of course, it's a perfectly natural phenomenon, right? You're in a sheltered valley, you emerge from the sheltered valley, and what happens when as soon as you emerge from the sheltered mountain valley, you get blasted by the wind that's been blowing over the valley the whole time, right? Um, but uh, but this sense of, I love how, it's a very low-key way to point out they've crossed, they've crossed the border, right? Um, they are now exposed. Now the sort of like hostility of the world around them. They're not subject to the hostility. They're not sheltered anymore. They're not protected uh, in the Valley of Rivendell. They are now facing facing the elements, uh, but facing, you know, the perils that potentially await them. Um, this visual and even tactile image of them coming up out of the veil and then finding themselves blasted by this hissing wind uh, that comes across the the sort of hostility of that the um, that sense of as I say going out in you know stepping out into um, uh, stepping out into the open stepping out against resistance now right where all was sheltered and easy before um, is this is a really powerful way to convey that in this as I say this auditory tactile uh, way which I think is really really cool. Um, then with one glance at the last homely house twinkling below them they strode away far into the night why twinkling? twinkling seems a very important word here why, why twinkling? now Falco you're right the fort is the border right? so I don't mean the border of the land that Elrond influences but it's clear that a, a sort of border has been crossed right? Um, they're, not, they're not in Rivendell anymore Yes, yes, Fourth Dauntless and Bjorning, I totally agree. And Aspen, it's it's like it's like a star, right? Um, may the stars shine upon your faces, and they turn back and look, and there's what is very like a star down in the valley below them, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, and the association of the last homely house with the stars that the verb twinkling um, establishes there in that sentence, I think is really, um, is really cool. Is really interesting. It's like, uh, um, they have been in being at the last homely house, right? Uh, the last homely house, um, was the last homely house east of the sea, right? Um, they have um it's like they've been living in the stars right they've been living among the stars there um the eldar are the people of the stars after all right um and what the star you know thinking about the stars as we were thinking about them earlier right what the stars have meant that kind of dependability the beauty of the stars um the sort of magical reappearance of the star every night, the dependability, the reliability of the stars. You can steer things by them, right? In a sense, this is the elves, too. They are the Eldar. They are the people of the stars. 
for people like hobbits, they're like stars, um, remote, beautiful, um, but also, you know, a good influence shining on your face, right? Also, um, something that you can steer by as Bilbo has come to, right? Through his tales and Sam through him, right? Um, uh, and they've, it's like now looking back, they can see like that's, it's, that's where they were, right? Rivendell itself is like a star, was like being among the stars. Um, yeah. Well, so I don't think I can agree with either one of those statements. Stars burn out. Do they? Do stars burn out? I mean, we would say that. But I don't think that's a thing in Middle-earth. Um, and stars absolutely shine. They don't burn. Um, do we ever get burning? Okay, that's kind of a hard search to do, but... Do they ever burn? Stars? Stars ever burn? Is that a verb that's attached to the noun stars in Tolkien's work? Yeah. Oh, it's an Encanto quote? Sorry. Yeah, I apologize. Um, I, uh, I, have, um, I have two young nieces, but I missed Encanto uh, narrowly a few times. But I'm actually curious to see it myself now, having heard very much about it while I was visiting my nieces. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think stars do burn. It's it's an interesting question. I think Tolkien knew that stars burned. I don't think that would have been a, a foreign concept. Okay, the stars burn burn in in the Hobbit. Okay. There we go. Um There we go. Good. JJ, glad you found that. The the stars are burning bright and blue. Good. The sun burns in the Silmarillion. Yes. Yes. But they definitely shine. For sure they shine. Um, anyway, sorry, getting distracted. It's an interesting question. I never really thought, I never really asked myself that question before. Um, but anyway, okay. But with one last glance at the last homely house twinkling below them, they strode away far into the night. Um, by the way, I also like this as a kind of inversion of Sam's vision in Mordor, right? He's going to look up from Mordor and he's going to see one star twinkling in the sky, right? In a rent in the clouds above him. Um, and here they're looking down and they see the one, the last homely house twinkling below them, right? Um, down in the one safe space with the wind hissing around them and, you know, and them striding away far into the night. Um, I love the, um, uh, I love the ambiguity of the word far here, right? They strode away far. Sounds like it's talking about distance, right? But they strode away far into the night. Oh, no, wait, time. They, continued their journey 
for a long time into the night is what that means, right? But striding away far sounds like they're leaving something far away, right? It sounds like a distance thing, because they are. They're turning away from the stars. They're turning away from the light. They're turning away from the last homely house. They're turning away from uh, Bilbo. They're turning away from... This is the last connection to home. Bilbo was a great connection to home, right? Um, with, for Frodo, seeing Bilbo again is almost like going back in time, uh, right? Not only go, returning home to the home that he left, but returning home to the home that he left 17 years ago, right? To the, 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 the home that time has swept him away from, as well as the home that distance has swept him away from, right? Um, <clears throat> so in more than one ways, in more than one way, uh, this was for Frodo uh, connection back to home, right? By seeing Bilbo again in Rivendell. Um, but now they are, they are, they have turned away, right? Um, notice we get the turning away twice. Look at all of the, all of the boundary stuff, all the transition stuff. That's why I'm talking about boundaries, not because I know the edge of boundary of uh, Elrond's land isn't until the Fort of Bruin. They're still safe from Nazgul, presumably, where they're standing, right? Um, but but that's not the point. Look at how the text emphasizes all this, all the, the transition between light and darkness, right? Um, from the elves standing in the shadows to at last they turned away and faded silently into the dusk, passing from visibility at least, into darkness. Then they're crossing the bridge. Um, and I agree, JJ, was it you who was talking about how he mentions crossing the bridge like we know all about that? Has there been a single reference to the bridge yet? I don't remember a reference to the bridge. We got it in The Hobbit, right? And so people from The Hobbit are going to remember it. Um, somebody somebody mentioned it. I can't remember who it was. Um, oh, yeah, for Thanos, it was you. Yeah, he just tosses that out there. They crossed the bridge. Okay, well, we know there's a river there. Right, so presumably a bridge. I don't know if the bridge was actually mentioned, but whatever. They cross the bridge. Um, so they go from visibility to invisibility, moving from light-ish into the dusk, right? They cross the bridge, right? Another boundary, another frontier being crossed. And then they go out of the veil, right? That transition which is marked by the hissing and howling wind, right? But they can still see Rivendell behind them. And then they turn away. One last time, right? With one glance at the homely house below them, they strode away, right? They now turn their backs on it for the last time and stride away far. And they are going far. They're turning away. They're far from home. They're setting their, you know, faces away into the darkness, uh, into the night, uh, and their backs towards home, their backs towards the last memory. They've been away from home now for some time, but um, back to the last memory of home. And they're striding far away in space into the unknown, into the darkness, but also far away into the night, also in, in time. So it also tells us the more mundane fact that they traveled for a long time that evening, right? Um, uh, really, really cool. These, these two paragraphs, again, these are really low-key paragraphs, right? Um, these are not how, these, these are not paragraphs that get quoted very much, right? Uh, when people quote the Lord of the Rings or, you know, uh, put uh, Lord of the Rings quotes uh, in their signatures. I doubt there are very many people in the world who have any of these sentences tattooed on their person. Uh, but um, uh, but there's some pretty awesome stuff going on in these two paragraphs. Um, 
yeah. Anyway, okay. We did it. We did it. We got through our 1.3 pair uh, uh, slides, and um, we've left uh, we've left Rivendell. Right there, we are. We're officially out of Rivendell, and we shall carry on with the journey next week. Um, I will be here next week. I am delighted to say I should be here um, every Tuesday night for a long time. <laughs> Even Mythmoot Week, I'll be here on Tuesday night um, because I'm not I'm not traveling till Wednesday night. So. Um, so yeah, I, I should be. I'm. I'm excited to have a period of time. I'm looking forward to more moot travel and getting to see folks again. But I do have to admit, after a lot of travel in the last six weeks, I am. Uh, you know, all of which was fun and delightful. I am quite looking forward to being at home for a few weeks in a row here. Uh, so that's what uh, that's what we'll be doing. So. Um, See you guys next week uh, for more book discussion. Keep in mind, by the way, tomorrow night um, we are starting our new Mythgard Academy series on the Alice books. We're doing both Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, some of one of Tolkien's favorite books. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien quote um, Alice Through the Looking Glass as much as I remember them quoting almost anything. They uh, they very frequently allude uh, to. Um, uh, to the Alice books, so we're going to be um, we're going to be starting Alice in Wonderland tomorrow night, Wednesday night, um, and then uh, we'll be continuing that going into th straight into through through the Looking Glass after we finish Alice in Wonderland. So um, uh, there we go. All right, um, thanks everybody. Uh, it is field trip time for those of you. So those of you who could stick with us for the field trip, and uh, uh, Valori still couldn't be with us tonight. She's still, she's been suffering from bronchitis, which uh, makes it awfully hard to talk. So uh, she's uh, not able to join us again tonight, but hopefully she'll be feeling better next week. And we're going to see how much more of the, oh, so there was, a, oh, that's right. We came right upon something and then didn't look at it last time, right? That is indeed correct. Good evening, everybody. It's Drew's Good. fire. Evening, yeah. Thanks, Druid's Fire, for joining us. So, let's see. So, yes. Yeah, so, um, uh, so Kiriana is going to be doing the uh, way ahead shipping. of you, boss. Okay, right. So, just to let people know uh, whom to contact there if they want to get in. Um, all right. Um, So let's see. So we had gotten. So I, we found uh, Gwingers from across the river. I just totally went hit the wrong milestone. That's horrible. Um, wow, I can't even believe I did that. I just like teleported myself ten feet down the road. That's fantastic. Wow. Okay. Um, that'll teach me to be talking while I'm doing things, which I do all the time. Um, never mind. Uh, I'll be coming the longish way. I'll get there eventually. Let's see. What's the fastest route to get there by Stablemaster? Um, that would be Rivendell to Sam Lumren, actually. Okay. Okay. Unless somebody in our uh, little raid has a summoning horn or a rally horn. Right. Well, I can. I, I can get there. I can get there. Or if I. Uh, just talk for a few minutes my uh 
milestone will reset. We'll cool down. I think I've got the like just a couple minute cooldown. Yeah, I've got the five minute cooldown going on. So, but anyway, well, I'll be um, there shortly. I'll be there shortly. Sorry, my apologies. Oh, hang on a second. Wolfrond, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Oh, and it's only eight minutes until dawn. Okay, there we go. All right. Hey, at the shoreline, glad you could join us. Uh, always fun when people join us for the first time. Um, a greetings from Finland. Yes, it's very early in Finland, I know. Okay. Oh, right, this is the new milestone we got. Whoa, right, okay. So, let me... Let's see, should we start from inside out? Okay, That'll so... That'll be different. Yeah, elf ruins, obviously. And we're in the middle of a significant hall. I want to say not a courtyard because look at this corner over here. We've got um, we've got these really high walls, but then we have pillars and what looks like mm, wait no, those are sticking straight up. I thought those were vaulting over for a second that were suggesting that this thing was roofed in before. Now I'm less sure that it was roofed in. It, it could might be, be though... vaulting over to the other side, way over here into the complete opposite corner. It's possible. Yeah, the the walls are very high, which is what makes me think it's not a courtyard, but an actual hall. Let me see. Oh, look, well, there's a cliff there. So why did they build this door? Maybe there used to be more rock here in the old days before it fell or something. Who knows? Maybe the same with Gwingris. Maybe there was some, because, I mean, it's like right over there. Maybe there yeah. was some tumult or something. Right, right. Because they had the same issue over there. Yes. Yeah, they had doors leading out onto the cliff face. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Definite mind your step moments. For sure. For sure. But yeah, so if we go around... Oh, that's right. There's that big bridge that I didn't... Oh, the huge log bridge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with cool. the with the really attractive rope and filigree fence that I've not seen anywhere else in game that I can recall. Yeah, the lamps and the knotted ropes right are really interesting not to mention handy as i don't think you can walk they off knew you were coming yeah they did that was very kind um uh to provide such a, a satisfactory guardrail um what a beautiful ravine here with the waterfalls into it mm -hmm. okay no wait that's one waterfall that's a pillar Okay, and then we've got a little sort of lake river thing down there. And this tree was positively enormous. This is a yeah, huge it's like, tree. It's like California redwood size. I'm like, where the heck did they get a tree this big? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Because there's definitely no old growth forest around that would justify a tree that has to be thousands of years old. Yeah, you're right. There's no other trees anything like this size it's all pretty new growth around here but see that itself suggests change Could right hang on a second where imported at some point it's conceivable i suppose maybe you could bring such a tree up the river though that seems hard to imagine but then again the trees bigger than the river though but remember this there's a good reason for new growth forest, 
around here. Um, the river. So this is we're on the Bruin Inn right now, right? This is this is mm-hmm. by the Bruin Inn is down there, right? So um, we're by the well, we're a little tributary to the Bruin Inn here, um, but the Bruin Inn and the um, and the Mathiathel there combine to become the River Guathlo, which goes out to the sea, and it is up the River Guathlo that the Numenorians in their deforesting period came, right? So um, there's not going to be old growth forest anywhere near these rivers, even as far up as this, I suspect, because the Numenorians deforested all the old, they took took down all the old trees around here. Um, Now, that was a very long time ago. So you can get a forest that's going to look like old growth forest in the thousands of years that have passed since the Numenorians did that. Um, and yet, Tolkien doesn't seem to take that option, right? Um, I mean, it's one thing, like, I live in a place where there's all new growth forest, right? Um, here in New Hampshire, we have all new growth forest, and for a very good reason. Because in the 18th century, um, when, you know, the English first settled this state, they clear-cut almost everything. Like, there are you know, I've seen pictures of uh, my town in like the 1780s when it was just fields all the way around. They they were farming the whole place. Um, now, most of the forest has grown back since then. It's now a very thickly wooded town. Um, but it's all, all the forest is all less than 200 years old. Um, but here in Middle Earth, we, there's been thousands of years thousands of years for the trees to grow back. You can get old growth forest in 4,000 years, right? 3,000 years, three three to 4,000 years. Um, but we don't see that. And Tolkien suggests that still down there by the Guathlo, there are still like places that are still like wasteland that were once forests. The forests have not reclaimed them, right? And it always makes me think of the desolation of the dragon, right? That that there's a sense in which the um, the greed of the, the Numenorians, yeah, or, or, exactly, or or the Brownlands, um, that the the greed of the Numenorians has like left its mark on the land, right? And they've never really flourished again. Um, but anyway, I think that this um, this huge log that we're standing on could well be a kind of uh, acknowledgement that, you know, there were great trees that were here once. I don't know how old this bridge is, but presumably pretty old as this ruin has to have been second age at least. I mean, it's it's like Gwingris. It's not as, um, well, looking at Gwingris ac- across the river there, it's not as domey, right? Um so what was this? Probably not a party spot. It's very like the other ruins that we've seen here in this area. And so presumably Noldor construction. We've seen fortifications. Um, this doesn't look like a fortification to me. I mean, there were fairly high walls, but they're th- relatively thin walls. I mean, this wall that I'm looking at the cross-section of down here, not exactly flimsy, but... Um, not as thick as we've seen in some other places. Well, definitely not. Not to mention the big, huge gateways like the one 
uh, straight to the south there, the one where you have to mine the cliff on the other side. Um, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, just doesn't look like fortification, exactly. It doesn't really look like a, um, a fortress, precisely. And coming it in does... here... Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was it just going to say... more yeah, like a big, a big hall, like a mm-hmm. lord's hall. Yes, but I agree. not really... You know, for fighting, it's just like a castle. Like I have a castle because I'm a lord, rather than I have a castle because I need to keep my people safe. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it it has given me a kind of great hall feeling from the beginning, more so than um, a fortress. You know, a kind of uh, stronghold sense. Um, this seems more more like a palace than a fortress. Yes. What was surprisingly few windows. I mean, even if it had a roof of some kind, um, as we see, the arches here are more complete. We can see that, you know, the one arch that dips up kind of like, you know, the McDonald's arches, you Mm -hmm. know, back when they only had one, um, did go all the way across as I thought I did. Right. Um, Right. But we're not seeing like any of the grapes that we'd seen in other Noldoran things in Aragian. So it might be a different bunch of Noldor. Remember the grape motifs that I said they look more like crystals than grapes to me? Right. Yes, we're not seeing the same exact thing. But it's it pretty it's pretty similar on the whole, mm-hmm. like the green color and the um the sort of the marbled green, right, that we're getting. We saw that a lot mm-hmm. in Oregon. Um the uh um where's the Yeah, and this um now, of course, I'm ignoring the ghosts, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mostly because I don't really know what. Um, hang on, let me let me just look at the front of these ghosts. Oh, 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 they've got a tree. Okay, so they're Gondorian ghosts, presumably. Um, yeah. Huh. Look how the. The overlapping sort of scales on his pauldrons there look like uh, almost look like a pine tree or something. But anyway, we've got the white tree on his chest. Uh, looking at his belt, what has he got there? Looks like a crown, maybe. I th- at first, I thought it was a swan, but it's not. Um, yeah. The overlapping see. of the armor does feel a little elvish to me, though. Yeah. Well, but I think that's. Possibly old Gondor, though, you know, like, which would yeah, have had yeah. a lot of elvish influences. Um, okay. So this is these, whatever oath they broke. Whoa, nice axe, dude. That's interesting. Little hand axe he's got going on there. Um, you know, this guy has a sword. Okay. Um, yeah, so. Um, so yeah, I don't know their story. Um, took ill-advised oath, did not keep oath, uh, came back from the dead, like you do. Um, uh, but Only shade um, of blue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so these are not the same kind. So this is the fourth species of oath breaker we've gotten. 
right? The Arnorian kind in Fornost, the um, uh, the like Dunlending kind in Enidwife, the, the proper kind in the Paths the proper of the kind, dead. of course, yeah, in the Paths of the Dead, um, you know, the Mountain Men in the Paths of the Dead, and now here, oh, fifth, sorry, Celebrant. We got um, Gondorian soldiers there too in Celebrant. So five, five subspecies of Five. Oathbreakers. <laughs> yeah. so. um, uh, yeah. There's some uh, oath. Some uh, JJ wants to know how do we know they broke an oath? Uh, there's some with a nameplate down uh, down by the river that actually specifically say that they are oathbreakers. Yeah, these spirits are just twisted apparently somehow. Um, though it's true, JJ, I think I was also guilty of making an assumption that they had broken an oath as. Uh, you know, that's the uh, acknowledged mechanism by which, you know, one contrives to return as a ghost. Um, ooh, there are some in the Lone Lands, too. I forgot to get you on a six. Six species of... Lo- and those were Arnorian soldiers. Were those Rudauran soldiers? I think they were. Yeah, cursed yeah, by think, uh, by Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Right? Rudauran. Um, I forgot about those, Catriona. Yeah, thanks. Six, right, exactly. Uh, the ones that failed the Red Maid. Exactly, exactly. Okay, crazy. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely an Oathbreaker Coward down in the valley, down by that lovely pond. Right, right, okay. Everybody Good. else is so these we... twisted sister spirits. Right, uh, confirmed. Um, okay. So this was definitely by Nolder. So let's let's back up and look at geography here. Okay. We had an elvish fortress up in the very... So looking at the angle here, the angle map. In the northwest Mm -hmm. corner, we had a Nolderan fortress. Um, Then we had that what we theorized was a Rudauran temple, which had been cleansed. Um, and then we had that other ruin. What was that other ruin? No, that was the one, right? The, the, so yeah, that's the fortress. Um, this one, uh, Eithildir. And then this one, Ostweiren, was the one that we were theorizing was a, a cleansed temple. And then we had the big fortress down here, Thelgarth. Um, and now over here we're looking at, wait, what, who was there? Oh, that's right. I wanted to go back down those roads. We, we'll do that. Uh, probably not tonight, but we'll go to do that next time and then we'll head up uh, into the northeast corner and finish up the angle after that. But anyway, okay. So this would be a good spot for your palace because there's a fortress up top right by mm-hmm. the last bridge, right? There's a fortress down below right north of the river landings right so right. where people could come up from the from the south the river side along this you know south edge the you know the uh, along the bruinen right the north bank of the bruinen um is very precipitous so you're not getting a lot of you know worrying about a lot of invaders uh coming uh coming from here um but uh then um 
so the approaches are already guarded. We don't know yet what's going on in the Northeast. Um, but that this would be more of a, a sort of a pleasure palace. It's not a party ground. It's not like Gwingaris. Um, no, there's no water slides here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is not. This is not a party spot. Um, it's a little statelier than that. Um, it reminds me quite like the place where I saw my cousin Narnian uh, up here by the other milestone. Yeah. Right. Um, that was a much smaller ruin up there. Just a little outpost. Right. Um, but, uh, but this was clearly much larger than that. Um, this is enormous. Enough it to be... It seems more kingly. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering. Indeed, to be perfectly frank, this looks more like, more regal than, um, uh, uh, than, uh, blanking the city in Eregion. Um, that we were looking at. Mirabelle. Yeah, it does. Um, Mirabelle's more airy. This is yeah, more yeah. solid. It's just like a few... It's like a, Mirabelle's just a cluster of relatively minor buildings, right? Um, this is... Yeah, Al Almorea, it's like the capital of this region, I guess, right? Um, and even the fact that there are fortresses... There aren't fortresses in Eregion, right? So you go down across the river... Gwingris and the rest of the places, those are all open. Those are all party spots. Um, and we talked about when we were looking at Eregion, the sort of suggested evidence that this was where um, you know, this is where things were built when they thought evil had been banished from the world forever. The constructions here in the angle are not so. Um, so, yes, you wonder if perhaps some of the elves from Eregion moved up, especially after the overthrow of Eregion, right? Moved up here across the river and built this more defensive fortification. So perhaps this was the place of whoever was the, um, uh, whoever was the, like whoever took over leading the people of Celebrimbor after Celebrimbor died. I mean, Elrond kind of did, but, um, but perhaps not fully, um, yeah, anyway, not really It'll sure. It'll be interesting to see when you actually come here and do the story. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Because the story is, story is, what? oh, 42. Right, I'd have to come back and... Yeah, it's back, 40 to 45. Story. Okay, right, all right. They fit it into the, into the troll shows mm -hmm. levels. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a little bit higher then, but yeah. Right. Yeah, Griffel don't have to make a side trip here at some point. Um... Okay, cool. All right, well, I'm going to let people go. Um, we, uh, this was cool. Look at that little tree. Look at that cool twist. So I'm looking straight due north here across the river. A little tree growing. It, oh, yeah, it, I see it. It reminds me of the little sheltered hollow where the sapling of the white tree was growing. Um, it's not, but I mean, it, it just, it can, I, I love that. I think it's a really neat little landscape feature feature up there. Anyway, okay. Um so next time, field trip-wise, we're going to go down and explore. We didn't go down these two roads. We kind of mm -hmm. came across here and then rode straight up for the milestone last time. Um, so I want to go back and explore this area a little bit more. And then maybe when we finish, maybe we'll do that next week and then move on. But then we'll move up back into the northeast and get up towards the fords of Bruinen again 
at which point we'll know that we're done with the angle and it'll be time to head off to the Yondershire. The Yondershire. I'm so excited. Cool. Awesome. Very good. Um, well, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, this was uh, a fun, not a big exploration here this evening, but a fun little exploration. And I look forward to seeing